And I'm Carrie. And welcome to our fourth Best of Awards, in which we're recognizing the best books of 2022. This episode, we're taking time to acknowledge our favorite characters, our favorite moments, the books that we've read for the book club in 2022. If you've been following our video cast at all, most of these are going to come as very little surprise and should be familiar. But due to the nature of our awards, it's almost impossible to be spoiler free for this episode. We will try to do our best to announce at the beginning of our award, like what book it's from. And then try to keep them about one to two-ish minutes. So if you haven't read a book that we're talking about, go ahead, just skip ahead a bit to avoid any spoilers. And be sure to check out any posts and accompanying podcasts for any books that intrigue you. With that, let's dive in into what really wowed us. Our first category is our bro slash romance. Now this can either be a romantic coupling, a platonic friendship that really stood out to us this year, or just a couple of people that we really liked. Uh, classic examples of bromances would be Uriel and Basanius, and a classic romance example would be Tonacrid and Dermon Caffrin. So let's start off with you, Carrie. Who was your favorite bro slash romance this year? That'd be Baggett and Claude, like hands down. They're my honorable mention. So tell us why you chose them. Because they're hilarious. Oh my God, yes. I, I got nothing else. Like they're funny and they're bros and they're never going to be separated. Pretty much. So I put them down as my honorable mention because I love the symbiotic relationship they have of this, the brains and the brawn, but also I love Claude is this giant Jiminy cricket to bag it. <laughs> right. Like he keeps, he's not the brains, Baggett's the brains, but Claude has just enough moral center to keep Baggett from getting a little too carried away. Right. Um, I almost said too big for his britches, but that feels, that feels like a rattling slur. <laughs> well. Yes, but they were my honorable mention because they're just a great romance. It's just two good friends. And I love that. I love seeing that in the books. Uh, friendships make me happy in the 40k universe as do romances because it's so dark and awful and people need friends so my what, what uh, was your winner my, then? huh what was your winner then my winner and this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody it was wraith and sycorax from assassin orm King i Edgar. still don't believe they were a couple um i do fight I, me i, I but know you do but i don't i did not read that into it so but even if they aren't a couple, I do like that they form this good friendship. They start off the book kind of like, mm, I don't think I like you that much. And for me, the scene that sealed it is that end scene when he is, he's sniping people off while she's like ducking and weaving through the crowd and through the doors and stuff to get around people. And they got this nice like pulley system of mm -hmm. murder. I just, and I like the idea that I want to work with you again. Like, again, I like when people find a nice, they find friendship in this awful, awful universe. Especially they find among another the, person. the Assassinorum. But I mean, you, exactly. could, you could actually say that about the three of them. Oh, the yeah. The three of them built great friendship and one even pretended to be dead and they're helping. Like, that's kind of huge. I think it also taps on a concept within the 40k universe that I really always find interesting. And that is the idea that when they all work together, instead of being siloed and playing who is king of crap mountain, um, it all works better. 
so weird. Like, cause you're, are you saying teamwork makes the dream work? I am saying teamwork makes the dream work. All right. Seems legit. Who's your honorable mention? Mine would be Colchis and Aramis from Volpone Glory. They that actually did have a thing. It was written there and like your thing. So. Yes. No, that was my, that was going to be my third. They, it was just a. Nick Kime has a really good way. We also saw it in Knights of McCrag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just inserting really earnest, nice romances. Nothing flashy or showy, just no nice. Yeah, look, nothing big. Nothing yeah, like nothing earth shattering, nice. but it's just it's just nice. Our second category of the evening is our favorite quote. Now these are lines that just struck and stuck in our brains, either as particularly well written, sassy, or generally memorable. I'll kick us off on this and say that my favorite quote, and this is kind of a hard one because it was really more of a conversation, but it's from Helbrecht. And it is when Gulliman is talking with Helbrecht and he says, there is much oh, in you, Heimer, that, is that a reminds good... me of first Captain Sigismund as I knew him. And Helbrecht is like, you honor me, sir. And Gulliman immediately comes back. That was not my intent. I totally forgot about that. Gotta love Gulliman, hey. how he's able just to cut things to the quick. He, like, I love that he comes in strong as, like, yeah, you remind me of this, which is, of course, like, for this character, that's, like, the height, the mm-hmm. height of compliments. And him being, like, not how I meant it. Absolutely loved it. What was your favorite quote of the year? I mean, mine, it was a funny thing. It was from Catachan Devil. And Nogrok is like, orky truth universally acknowledged. Okay. You throw in a Pride and Prejudice reference, especially that one. Oh, my God. The opening line of Pride and Prejudice with orcs. Of course, that's going to be it. I I, I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Can't even argue with that. No. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one as well. Um, That whole book was just kind of fun. Oh, but that was totally. a very, very good quote from them. Uh, my honorable mention actually comes from the Karn book. And I know that it didn't come out this year, but we did read it this year. And I love Karn. Um, and I loved this quote in particular. It's when they meet with the Emperor's children emissaries towards the end of the book. And Karn says, take off your helmet, emissary. I like to see the faces of those who would insult Angron. I liked it because it was a very menacing statement that he made. It really set the scene. And it basically was this tipping point where, because Karn's been oddly reasonable up until this point. And you just, you know, you know that this is the precursor to a lot of violence about to happen. Mm -hmm. And it was just a nice, like, it was a nice level setting of, yeah, go ahead and show me your face. Like, oh, it's going to get really bad after this. <laughs> I loved it. What was your honorable mention? Yeah, mine is uh, uh, from Bookkeeper's Skull, oddly enough. It was this random quote I'd written down in my notes. And I was like, you know what? Because I identify with this. I am much too selfish to be a martyr. Yeah. I did that phrase. I, I identify with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like how we always say that we're too vain for chaos. Too selfish yes. to, be a, to be a saint. <laughs> I think... 
I think we mentioned, um, I think we mentioned in the podcast how much we both really liked that. Probably. I mean, for the fact that I had it written down in my notes and yeah, I mean, it was definitely mentioned. That was a really good one, actually. Hmm. But so one of the only good things out of that book. I mean, other than learning where grocks come from, that was actually kind of fascinating. That was actually really fascinating. I will, you know what? I'll give you that one. That one, I do remember us overall being very disappointed in that book. Well, it was just because it was yes and no. Anyway, it's uh, yes, it was obvious it was the skull, but the fact of who it was kind of made it a little fun. Right. Agreed anyway, anyway, it wasn't terrible. It was not the worst book we read this year. No, no, that's for sure. Um, our third category is the funniest moment. Now, the Warhammer 40k universe is full of laughs and humor here and there, but these were the scenes that provided either a much needed laugh or were so perfectly timed and enjoyable. They deserve mention. What is your? Well, and I think we have basically so we're basically the same. we're talking we're, we're basically doing the same scene. Pretty much. And yes. it's this set this, scene. The scene is the dinner party of, uh, um, sorry, let me tell the book. It's Kazarkin. It's the dinner party with uh, Nabusamek, who thinks that he's, you know, still flesh and he's feeding everybody. And the poor Czech had eaten a Necron finger and it was severely disagreeing with him, to put it mildly. And, uh, you know, he basically, he's about to die. And he tells his partners, like, like if you put here, like, uh, kill me. And Nabusamek's like, oh, come on. The food is not that bad. And they're like, no, 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 my lord. It's something he ate earlier. <laughs> but it's not your food. And I just love that. Like, yes, it was something he ate. He's like, oh, dear. Yes, I definitely see that. <laughs> I see what the problem is. You have bugs. Yeah. And then he just cures it. He's yeah. just like, oh, we'll just take care of that. Oh my god. It was it was such a funny thing. And because the scene was being treated, and I'm going to talk a lot more about it later, obviously, but um, the fact that the scene is so serious and then when he's just like, kill me! Well, the food isn't that bad. Like, it's just the fact that everybody else knows what's going on, right? but Nabusamek is just like, no, I have no idea what's going on. He's just having a dementia, a dementia episode. Um, I laughed so hard. In that whole scene, pretty much start to finish, and you could yeah. have found most any moment from that. Well, my honorable mention is right. Hap what happened before that, when he accidentally oh. kills Obasekura, and he's just like, "Oh dear, I shouldn't have done that." And he's like, "I should fix it. I will fix it," and he does. And Obasekura is like, "I don't know what happened, but I'm pretty sure I was dead." He's like, "Oh, I am so sorry. Killing you was a complete accident, sir." <laughs> See, that was your honorable mention. Again, yeah. it pretty much from that point. Yeah. Basically, the point where they meet Nabusovic to the end of that whole scene is just, oh, man. <laughs> it is. It makes that whole book. I mean, the whole book is very, very good. But if I had a point to like one scene to make you read the book, it'd be the dinner party scene. I mean, you got a dinner party with Cadians, Crute, and a Necron experiencing some dementia. Dementia about his um about his uh flare curse. Yeah. Just makes it absolutely wonderful. Oh, I thought I had my quote for my next one. I was gonna cue it up really quickly. I thought I had the thing, the page marked, and then I just found out that I did not because 
Oh, I do. Okay, good. Because because I saw, I see yours and I'm like, I don't get it because I don't remember this particular thing. So So my honorable mention goes to Assassin Arm Kingmaker again. And this is one of those scenes. I love fan service when it's done right. And I think I've said that before. Mm -hmm. When fan service is done correctly and subtly, it's absolutely wonderful. And it was on page 168 of Assassin Arm Kingmaker. And it's when he's talking with one of the noble women. And um, she's revealing her hunting hounds. One of them is named Yarick. The other one is named Creed. And the other one, she says, the new one is Ibram Gaunt. He's a good little bird dog, aren't you? <laughs> so she has her dogs named after fam- favorite uh, famous commissars. And, um, but no cane. Well, I do love that Riken says, it's best not to mention that. It wouldn't be appreciated. And she's like, why not? Like, she's like she, she genuinely didn't understand why her dogs being named after famous commissars would be considered maybe a little off color. I don't know why, but that scene, again, it was just some good fan service. Just like a little, that, that just, it tickled me and I laughed really hard about it. And I still think about that and have names for my future pets. I'm disappointed she didn't name one Kane because that would have been a good little bird dog. That would have been a good little bird dog. Well, especially when she explains it and she's like, well, what else is the guard for other than flushing out prey? I mean, she ain't wrong. She ain't wrong. So let us, um, let us diverge from our funny scenes and go to our biggest, oh my God. These are the scenes that either had us figuratively or literally with our jaws agape, unable to comprehend the scene we just read. I think forever our example of an oh my god scene is from Emperor's Spears when the oh. chapter masters. Yes. Yes. That is say, forever my example. Say probably last year my example would be God Blight. No. I think that was our example for mm. last year. Oh man. Um, my biggest oh my god scene, and it was a literal, just, I think the second that I started this scene, like this part of the book and went forward, I was just going, oh my god. Oh my god. And it's from Dark City. And, uh, the vaults of Terra, the Dark City. Um, it's, it starts when Crowl does his, like, little walkabout into the Dark City, and he sees the Black Throne. And he sees that the Lords of Terra are working with the friggin' Drukari to build, to fix the, fix the throne. Because they also, they need to have a clone of the Emperor to also hold back the Matrix, the uh, Cicatrix Melodictum. What? Without realizing that they were giving the Drukari means of making their own Emperor. I just, like, love the, I just love the fact that Mechanicum were just like, well, there's no way they could do that. Like, like because they're Xenos, therefore they're so dumb, right? Well, in, in that same scene, they make fun of the Vaults of Terra, the Hollow Mountain. They kind of make fun of the lords who were working with that Drukari. Like, oh, well, they didn't have, like, an agreement in place. We have an agreement in place. Have I ever told you the definition of insanity? Just... Oh my god! I think probably that my really my favorite thing out of that conversation we had was your your analysis with the Mechanicum, and they're just like, well, they don't know the difference between you know the Eldari and the Drukari. They're all just they're all Eldari, right? Space elves. Yep. 
There's a difference. There's a there's a really big difference. Right, but I could totally see your point though that the Mechanicum wouldn't discern that distinction the way that no the Inquisition they would. wouldn't they wouldn't and the High Lords don't either except for these ones who are like oh no no we've made an agreement though okay sure Jan what was your biggest oh my God scene this year. It was honestly uh, an awakenings when discovering that Mandrath was not really Mandrath. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tell yeah. me more. I mean, just the, you know, because the whole time, yes, they're uncovering the whole plot that they had with what they're doing with the custodians. Like, that was all just awful. And that was a big, oh, my God moment when you realize what they're really doing. But, you know, this whole time she's been wondering, like, you know, who this person is who brought me back and, and why. And then he just disappears. So she's like, well, I didn't get to answer. I didn't have any more questions to answer. And then you find out, oh, by the way, there's a reason why he was acting so weird. It's because he's kind of being possessed by a demon right now. And it opens a lot of questions. Well, so some of the theories that I've seen, and there are, people are probably right. It's the same demon with the demon host that she was using back in, in the comic series. So. And that makes sense to me. And there would actually be a kind of poetic irony to that. Right. Um, again, have I ever told you the definition of insanity? Um, and a lot of the, there's just so much arrogance with the Inquisition in general. And as much as I like Sabathiel, a lot of arrogance going on with her too. Oh my gosh, yes. And, like, she's, so, and the best part is she doesn't still doesn't see what she did was wrong. No. All she sees is like, but the Grey Knights betrayed me. Yeah. Space Marines are bad, and I need to let everyone know that. Mm -hmm. <sighs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I may or may, may not have let a demon out. <laughs> Who's keeping track of these things? Yeah, that... Because she, that she's scene. Ordo Hereticus? Yes. Okay. So, what does she care about demons? That's not heretical. You see, heretical... <laughs> is ultimate betrayal of the Imperium, which is clearly not what she was doing by consorting with the demon host. That's what the Grey Knights did. And that's what the well, Dark Angels did. But also, other people yes. are heretical when they play with demons because they don't understand what they're doing she totally and they don't have does. an end goal. I have a goal and I know the risks, so it's okay. Yeah, there was another wonderful Grey Knights book that I mention all the time where I also had a... Uh, from the Ordo Xenos is like, I know I know what I'm doing. <clears throat> and then Kugoth gets summoned. Totally know what you're doing. I meant to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is um the Inquisition is always we, we've always said this, their own worst enemy. And I feel like that book, just a big reminder. And the fact that, oh by the way, there's a guy walking around pretending to be a Lord Inquisitor, a demon. When I say guy, I mean demon. You know, what's really funny to me is that the Inquisition always seems to be just ripe for Zinch. Like, Zinch is just like, I just can't wait to pluck you and you and you. You will all be mine one day. You just don't know it yet. It's like how Corn likes the orcs. Like, they're never going to worship him, but he finds them amusing. Right. Right. I feel like that's how Zinch feels about the Inquisition. It's just like, well, I mean, I'm, even if I don't convert them all, oh my God. God, are they amusing. <laughs> they do so much more damage than I ever could. But it's all part of his plan. 
Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Exactly that. My honorable mention actually went to Wraithbone Phoenix. And it's the scene mm. where we realize the cost of Herbo Prongfork's revenge. Mm. Um, yeah. For the whole, for the first half of that book, you are, oh my God, you feel so outraged for Herbo Prongfork and you're so sad for him. And you're even kind of like, yeah, the captain deserves to be sick. What the hell? He sucks. And then about the halfway point, you start to be like, I feel like there's something else going on here. But you don't know which way, right? Mm -hmm. And then when it's revealed that Herbo Prongfork essentially drives this captain crazy and sac sacrifices not one, but two Imperial vessels. Because, because he was ashamed and he got branded. Like, I'm not saying that what happened to him wasn't wrong and not okay, but like, <laughs> that's not revenge. That's right. vengeance. It damn sure isn't justice. And just and how for what? So we could die all alone? All alone, covered in feces. And most likely starved to death. Yeah. You know, his death was not pleasant. And that was the depth of his hatred. And just seeing Baggett realize, like, oh, that's not good. And I liked the idea because it was a really nice little lump of sugar for Baggett. Not that he was a bad guy, but, like, it was this kind of, okay, even I do have a conscience. Like, I pretend to be this, like, devil may care mm -hmm. kind of guy, but. But even he knows when things are too far. Yeah. And his outrage when he realizes, like. You killed at least 50,000 people. And how many of them were... What? Were augurins and ratlings. I remember he, he mentioned that as well. Yeah. It's like you killed your own people to get at this one guy. Just absolutely terrible. And I remember just being like, oh, God, reading it. Because it was, it was very upsetting. Because all he had to do for revenge is just get rid of the trinket. That's all yeah. he had to do. He could have hidden it in the same place that he went to hide. Mm -hmm. And they never would have found it. Nope. The Wraithbone Phoenix would have been disappeared forever. But no. Or even where he hid it. Underneath the statue. <clears throat> Bruh. Don't do the thing. <clears throat> oh, good. I have my little split face devil joining me this evening. What was your honorable mention? <laughs> So mine was um, actually probably a surprise to you. It was in it was. Uh, yeah, it was uh, twice dead king rain. It was learning that they're all cursed. Honestly, the big one for me was actually when um, Ultix tried to bite the human. It was right there. I was like, oh. You guys are all flawed. Not one of my favorite books that we read this year, but that was an no, interesting lore I mean, revelation. I didn't like the book because I don't like Necrons, but that was just like, that was still a very, it was a very um, interesting moment. It was. And I think Kazarkin kind of took that ball and mm -hmm. ran with it a little. Right. To show that, yeah. Because we, we've seen with Ruin and Rain, we got to see a lot of like these these people, they're numbered, they're 
they're miserable. Most of them wake up half crazy. And the ones who don't even have the flare curse just don't remember who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, it, it's such a, a tragic backstory and tragic existence. And that's saying a lot within the Warhammer 40k universe. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, to just kind of be like, oh, by the way, this is um, kind of inevitable for all of us. Right. Just the whole idea that they can't let it go of not breathing, of not having flesh. And to the point, what's so crazy to me, though, is that so, you know, so we see, you know, um, Nabusamek, but he's not to the point where he's like, he wants to carve up everybody. You know, he hasn't gotten there at that point. Because he, he just is like, well, no, I don't need to because I look, look at me. I, I'm totally flesh. Like he just sees himself that way. So he doesn't feel the need to, I guess. Oh, I want that guy's skin. I want to silence, silence of the lambs, that guy. They're so far in denial. They're building pyramids. You should be ashamed. I'll shut myself out. <laughs> It was, it was, I actually forgot that about that too, until I saw you put it down. I was like, well, that's a, ri- oh, oh, actually that was kind of a big deal. Like that, it's a pretty big revelation. And again, I do appreciate that the Black Library has kind of leaned into this humanizing of the Necrons, but mm. in a very different way than we've seen other evil factions humanized, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this idea though, that they're not, they're no longer just cardboard villains like oh yeah that's an orc they they like to kill stuff and oh those are the necrons they're basically unkillable and they've got laser beams um no they're starting to like show you this is what they're like terrifying yeah i mean it's a short answer right (laughs) terrifying and you don't want to talk to them at all ever just throwing that out there i don't know dinner party seemed pretty lit right so speaking of that our fifth category is our favorite scene so this is the scene that was either so important or just really cinematic that it just stuck with us and just kind of lives rent free in our heads um what was your favorite scene um it's actually only does i think about a lot it's from here on blackheart and it's and it's when the ultramarines show up take the spirit of mccrag they're like (laughs) And Huron's like, looks like they want their ship back. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> good luck. Basically, yes. <laughs> it's a great scene because it's very cinematic and it really shows you a lot about who Huron Blackheart is. Yeah. Like, it, it mm, I, we're going to talk a lot about him because I know that we have him later in other categories as well. But he... Um, I feel like that scene right there, it was like, Huron Blackheart, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, he doesn't care that, you know, they're about to be invaded. He's probably going to lose his new uh, knight's toys that he has. Not the knight's, but you know, uh, I forget what they are. I'd struggle with some of the Mechanicus stuff, remembering all of that stuff. But um, he's going to lose all that. But he's fine with it because he gets rid of an adversary in the process. And he didn't even really want the ship anyway. It was so funny. In fact, he's like, I think they want their ship back. And they're like, well, fire's like, <laughs> look at that. It's not going to shoot at its former comrades. That's funny. <laughs> well, and just the fact that he's that. Yeah, that, that that's going on. And he's like, you don't say. 
Like, just very calm, very cool. And he said that from the beginning. Yeah. So that scene was delightful because it was a payoff. Mm -hmm. Kind of Chekhov's ship, I guess. I mean, Chekhov, he's would, like, Chekhov would be proud. Yeah, where he's like, it's not going to work. And then sure enough, it doesn't work. I love the machine spirit so much, you guys. I really, but I've made it very clear that I don't. I think it's creepy. But in this case... I allowed it. I found that hysterical. Well, it's great because again, it's I'm gonna really he's gonna fire at Gulliman. No, is the answer to that? Right, it's not. Um, my favorite scene we already talked about a little bit, but it was it's the dinner scene. <laughs> uh, much like the Mall and the Blues Brothers, this scene's got everything. Um. <laughs> It, I love the scene because it's absurd and yes. it's humorous, but he prevents it from going over the horn absurd humor because you have the humans who are already in this very precarious situation, right? Where they are with a Necron Lord. They can't fight. They're already in this weird agreement with the Kroot that has them all kind of feeling uneasy. The Kroot are about to lose their leader because he ate part of a Necron. They're in this weird, we can't fight the Necron. We're kind of stuck teaming up with the humans. And the Necron's having the time of his life. He's so excited to have everybody. The gang's all back. Tell me all about your adventures. We're going to have a lovely dinner. Yeah. Like the whole scene, there's emotion. There's mm -hmm. humor. There's absurdity. And again, just I, th that was one of those ones that. We were because we were talking about before we started podcasting. We were talking about like when movies or books on paper look like something that you should love, but they don't come together. This was an example of a scene that had er checked every one of my boxes, and it did work. It worked very, very well. Even like at the end when the world's mind was like, "Yeah, you know what? Nope. Like you're staying in here because you're crazy, and I'm taking over things." And even though the world mind didn't understand that, the more it was letting out, the more it was letting out the infection. I found that very interesting how it's kind of stuck with that. But I also love the fact that Obasekro is like, I think I can help you with your problem. And he's like, do tell. <laughs> and they end up working together with this guy all in exchange for teaching him how to keep his sand orum together. Which is delightful, but then also sad at the end, right? There was just so much emotion, like so much emotion packed into this one scene. It was like an onion. Um, and it was just really well written. And I think you and I both said in that podcast that Eduardo Albert is very quickly becoming one of our favorite authors. I loved everything about this book. I know we're going to talk about it a little bit more later because, yeah, but literally. But yes, it was it was a very excellent book. Um, and I think we both kind of went into it like, oh, good, the Cadians and the Tau. Mm, yay. Um, not, not what we came in for. Now, you know what? This was, this was my favorite Tau book ever. That is fair because the Tau weren't in it, you see. Exactly. <laughs> they were in it for like five minutes. And then they exited stage right and forgot to come back. <laughs> What was your, I have got to hear you describe this. What was your honorable mention, Carrie, for your favorite scene? Uh, that would be the end of Catachan Devil because um, it was kind of a cat. it was kind of Catachan. It was a, a Caddyshack-like thing. If you've ever seen 
And I'm probably speaking to young kids who are like, what the hell's Caddyshack? Caddyshack, then seen, end up blowing up the golf course. And when the bombs are going off, they actually play John Philip Sousa, uh, which if you don't know who that is, you always hear it when you hear fireworks. So, um, and honestly, and that's pretty much what happened here. They just were setting off explosives all across this fort, wherever the orcs were. And all I could think of was John Philip Sousa playing. Um, I would not have put that particular piece of music Ooh. to it, even though I loved the scene, but that's hilarious. Yeah, that's really all I could think of. And it was a very satisfying ending to what was a fun book. Yeah, it was fun. Um, not like an amazing life-changing book, but definitely fun. Um, I mean, you have the Catachan and the orcs. like, And the orcs and infighting about being sneaky or not. It was great. And debating on whether or not that was cowardice to be sneakier. Mm -hmm. And the Catachan were somewhat infamous amongst them. <laughs> right. Yes. It was it was just a really good ending to a book. I will 100% agree with that. My honorable mention, again, this comes from Assassin Arm Kingmaker, and it was the scene when the Grey Knight, the Green Knight, appears. When mm. just that whole lead in, because you've been told about this myth, right, of this Green Knight and this like birthright and then you discover whose birthright it is and then this green knight coming out and saving everyone as you said as we were actually again this is hearkening back to a conversation we had before the podcast where we were talking about uh taking classic fairy tales and kind of turning them on their end or bringing them into another lore and the whole idea of bringing because the knights the knights in and of themselves have this very arthurian courtly style to them and just leaning right on in and bringing in part of the Arthurian legend. I just loved it. Oh, actually, I thought, I thought it was. you were going to make a Sir Gawain in the Green Knight reference, but that, that works also, too. That works as well. Um, but I just, I liked all of the stuff they brought in there. It, it was, it was a well done scene. It was very like, oh, yes. Um, because at that point, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Yep. Or hell in a knight helmet. Um, because don't, don't align with chaos. Okay. That was the best part. It was, it was the Mechanicus who did. And some of the Lords. We were just like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. I like it. Let's do it. Well, yeah, cause we can't have the King be dead. No. Right. That would be weird. <laughs> but what's not weird is joining with chaos. No. And yes. our mortal enemies. What even is wrong with you people? Moving along. <laughs> Talk about our favorite antagonists. These are the villains we either love to hate or the villains we were maybe cheering for a little bit towards the end. There have been so many great examples of this over the years. Um, I will start off by saying that mine, and this is going to be a hot take, so bear with me here. I was going to say, I just looked it over. That is a hot take. This is a hot take. Bear with me. It's Colonel Yurton from Krieg. Um, technically, in his mind, like all good antagonists, he views himself as the protagonist. Um, red letter media jokes. Uh, he does 
he thinks he's the good guy. But when you look at it, it's both sides in Krieg, right? It's the people who want to defect and it's him. They ruin their planet. They destroy their planet. This is the very definition of a Pyrrhic victory. Mm -hmm. You have won, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people had mentioned to him all throughout the book, like, dude, just leave. Just take all of your our people who are still loyal. Get on a a ship and let's go we'll go get the inquisition we'll go do anything else to come and deal with this and nope mm -mm, nope 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 not on my watch not on my watch we will kill every man woman and child with chemical weapons if that's what it takes dude listen to yourself y you have like obviously it's a very complicated system and no one person is responsible for what happened to creek blah 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 blah. but towards the end of the book it's it's almost solely on him mm-hmm but he makes you, the final I, decision. The final decision. And okay, if he had gone and gotten the Inquisition, let's address the elephant in the room. Had he gone and gotten the Inquisition, they were probably just going to exterminate us the planet. Okay, fair. But at least that would have been like the Inquisition doing it, and it would have been super quick. They would have just exterminated us the planet. What you did took years. Absolute years. And essentially, and I keep thinking about this with like the people who are in power on all of these planets of Warhammer 40k, the, the civilians, the citizens who just want to continue their lives, mm -hmm. they just want to continue to live a nice, normal existence. They want to go to the store, they want to go to work, and they want to eat dinner at night with their family. That's all they want to do, really. Just couldn't let it go. No, because couldn't let he, it go. Because he was right. Exactly. Exactly, because he was right. And, and he was on the right side. On the one hand, yes, you are right. But, like you said, at what cost? But that is a hot take. But I do feel like, again, I feel as though that book, even though he's kind of, he's he's portrayed as this hero, right? And, like, when you discover that the Krieg guy is like, well, I, I am Yurton, is my name. The implication being that they're almost all clones of Yurton. Mm-hmm. Nope, sorry, can't cheer for you, buddy. You were the you were the villain all along. <laughs> Just saying. Who's your favorite antagonist? Well, mine seems pretty weak compared to that. I was actually a really good insight, but no, mine was actually the um, sneaky orc Nogrok from a uh, Catachan Devil. That's just because he cracked me up with his logic oh. and his tactics. I have decided there's nothing scarier than a smart orc. This is true. And the fact that he observed and learned and was like, oh, I see what they're doing. We could do the same thing. It makes him very, because I mean, what's, what's the scariest thing about Gosgol Thraka? <laughs> He's a thinky orc. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that this guy also is a thinky orc. And you can see, you can see the results of what happens mm -hmm. when the orcs think. Which is terrifying. Because they're already terrifying. Right, exactly. It ain't good. <laughs> For the Imperium, it ain't good. No, it'd be like if army ants could think. Nobody wants that. Well, and... He was a great antagonist because you feel so bad for him. Because he's, like, trying to convince the boss, right? Like, no, 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 we just need to be sneaky. And, ah, it's cowardly. 
dude. Yeah. <laughs> Just listen to the man. I mean, you know, well, what do you expect from, you know, aiming is for cowards. My favorite lines ever. That might be one of my all time favorite quotes. Like if we were to do an all like of the last four years, maybe we'll have to do that. Like at our fifth year, we'll have to do like a retrospective. Um, Amens for cowards will forever be a favorite quote. Yep. Because it's just true. My honorable mention for my favorite antagonist is Huron Blackheart. And while he was, again, the protagonist of his story, he's an antagonist of the world. And I loved how Mike Brooks treated him. I loved that he resisted the urge to do one of two things. He resisted the urge to have him snidely whiplash in a corner, just twirling his mustache and cackling behind his coat, right? Of being just this truly evil, despicable guy that makes you go, why would anyone follow this guy? But he also resisted the urge to Fabius bile him. Mm. No, 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 no. He's just misunderstood. He really does have a heart of gold and he does care about people. No, 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 actually, I... To be, honestly, that's what makes Huron Blackheart fun. Mm-hmm. He is unapologetically evil. He is unapologetically a bad guy. And he's problematic. That's, so, like, I'm not as big of a fan of Hanso as you are. But there is mm-hmm. the one short story with Hanso and Huron Blackheart, incidentally. I know the story. But Skull with, hearts. Yes, but with the way that Hanso acts... And pretends to be doing these certain things because that's what people expect when he really has like other plans and play. That's fun. And he doesn't care. That's the best part about it is that he just he absolutely does not care about any of it. So that that makes it fun. I think that's why I like, you know, here on Blackheart is like, no, I don't care about anybody, anybody out here. But, you know, so I'm losing a ship. I don't care. Sucks for you, though. <laughs> right. And as we were just talking about with that scene with the uh, with the ship, he looks he takes one look at that ship and he's like, eh, it's nice and all, but you're never going to use it. Well, like, what, what's the first thing? He asks, he's like, do you have Gulliman? Well, he got away. He didn't want the ship anymore. No. And I do like how it makes him seem like seem like he's kind of being petulant for a few seconds there. Where he's like, oh, you did get this ship and I didn't. But then he immediately, no, this is no prize. And he is that type of guy. He's constantly thinking. He's constantly calculating. And quite frankly, he's going to be a problem for Gullivan. Yeah, eventually. Like, he is He is going to be a guy that they're going to have to deal with. He is not going to get killed in some side battle. He's... He's going to be a guy. And you also get the impression that Abaddon's probably going to have to have a come to Jesus talk with Huron at some point as well. well like I he's going to actually have to deal with him. Huron Blackheart, the last line in this book, like I wrote down in my notes, it, it it's like, well, one more master's died. Why not a second? Like, yeah. he didn't care. He does not care. Nope. He is on his side and his side alone. He just wants to just wreak havoc with what he's doing and he's just fine with that. He doesn't, if the Imperium falls, okay. If Abaddon falls, okay. Yeah. What does it matter? Yeah. He is not a full nihilist, but he's definitely skirting it. And honestly, he I, also... just, I see him as a guy who just wants to be free. Mm-hmm. 
very much so. He's he's a classic anarchist. Right. Yes. That, I yes. want to do what I want to do. I don't want anyone to bother me. And I'm not answering to anybody. Mm-hmm. And the fact that neither Abaddon nor Gulliman can call him to heal. He's just a great antagonist for the world. I And you know what? Before that, I'd always liked him because he showed up like in some short stories here and there. And I was like, oh, he's a very interesting character. I thought what Mike Brooks did with him was great. Mm-hmm. I thought he was an absolute excellent antagonist. And I'm excited to see what he can do with him next. Your honorable mention was almost my honorable mention as well. Yes, mine is Commissar, Commissar Ren Saint. So we will not be naming our dogs after him. But he, uh, no, he was from Vol- that would be a bad dog. <laughs> he was from Volpone Glory, and he's the guy. Volpone Glory was interesting in the fact that you know you already have the weird dichotomy with the Blue Bloods to begin with, with their weird politics and their honor, but with the plans, with them plans, with them plans, with them plans that Ren Saint was all doing to get his particular way was unreal when it all when you find out who really was the mastermind behind everything just truly everything yeah and honestly probably my favorite part about that book was not just rinsate but the fact that you did have a bad guy you had fink who was a bad person but he wasn't the villain right he was he was the opposite of the just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy. Like he was a bad guy, but he, but wasn't, he wasn't the bad guy. Right. And he's, he's a bad person, but he's not the bad guy. <laughs> and you actually kind of end up rooting for him in a weird way at the end. Well, he's loyal. He and, is loyal. You know. He's a bad person, but used to good ends. Like, and I think the Warhammer 40 UK universe gives us a lot of examples like that, right? Like, most of our Inquisitors are not good people, but some of them are doing good work. Right. Yeah, he was, uh, that was almost, that was almost my honorable mention as well. Because when you, because you kind of start off the book liking him. You're like, oh, he seems fine. Oh, yeah, because like, he's the guy who's like trying to help everybody and you know, mm-hmm. he puts, you know, Darian as a saint in a way. Like, you know, he's the one they're all going to rally around. It's like, oh, he's toy taking this poor guy, you know, and helping him out and everything. He's not going to be put to death for, you know, pretending to be one of the Volpone and all that. No. Nah. That was all just window dressing to cover up other stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you realize how many fingers he has, his, like how many pies he has his fingers in, it's like, oh, my God, like, like, like you, you are you're bad. Honestly, it got to the point where at the end, because yeah, especially we find out he's got, you know, the Calidus with him, who is also a bad person. I'm um, just killing people to look like them. OK, you don't have to do that. But OK. I mean, it makes it easier. But... It does. But it was unnecessary. It was very unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But. The Very. fact that, like, you know, are you sure you're a commissar and you're not really an inquisitor? Well, in some of his stuff, I'm like, dude, you could have just shot these people for dereliction of duty or something like that. I mean, you're a commissar. You wield a pretty big amount of authority, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his reveal, because again, like the, the journey of his characters, you start off by liking him. He's a good dude. 
And then about halfway through, you're like, oh, ooh, maybe not. Maybe you are a little too political. Maybe you are a little too callous. And then you get to the big reveal and you're like, oh, well, screw this guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a good antagonist. And he was also a good antagonist because you weren't expecting him to be an antagonist. No, it's like, you know, this book was full of like, you had no idea. Like there were some bad people like Schiller was not a good person. Fink was a bad person. But neither one of them were the antagonists. You had no idea. You might have thought it was the um, other general, the one that passed up Regara, one that they believed had killed his friend. No. Nope, he was just another pawn in it as well. Yeah. And I feel as though the commissars are a character that we don't ever suspect. Well, because like, they're so... Die hard, right? Right. They're die hard. And on some ways, the commissar seems like the obvious antagonist to a story, right? It seems so obvious. And I think that actually worked in that his very fair as well, because you're like, well, obviously the commissars are not great because they're so mean and they have to enforce the rules. Mm -hmm. And oh, but not like that. He was uh well, you know. So my the wicked and the damned that story one that one of the stories about the commissar I think David Annandale wrote this one about the commissar. Uh, Josh, Josh of course it was, of course it was. Um, but Ooh. the fact that like this commissar was a very bad person and was doing very bad things, but he wasn't the only bad person doing bad things, you know. Right. Uh, so yeah, so I. I guess when the commissars, you don't think suspect the commissars because they're so zealous and they're so got that fervor for what they do. But at the same time, they can fall like Ren Sant, like the commissar in The Wicked and the Damned, because they are so zealous. Exactly. It is a breeding ground. I mean, even and in Kazakhin, you weren't sure about what Roshant was going to do. No. You weren't at all. And they also, he did some interesting things with him too, right? Like mm -hmm. portraying him as this coward. It, The commissars are just an interesting little group of people to, to do stuff with. And he was particularly, Rincent was particularly well utilized, I feel like. Right. We've talked about our antagonists. Let's talk about our favorite protagonists. These are the main characters in whose stories we were completely invested. We were totally rooting for these people. We just liked these characters. Start us off, Carrie. That'd who is be yours? Abasekra of Kazarkin. Oh my god, as, I, he's my honorable mention. As many I times argue. as I wanted to call him Obasanya, who's actually also an amazing character in Ted Lasso. Um, no, Obasekra, hands down, um, because he's the really the only one that has his wits about him the entire time he is with it he knows what he has to do he knows mm -hmm. he has to take care of this commissar even though he doesn't want to he also knows that they're cadians and even though he's never been part of this troop he's still a cadian so he has to kind of deal with some of that drama mm -hmm. you know uh when roshant is all mad at him for talking to the people of the planet and he's just like look they're going to help us like Sorry. You know, and he's so quick on his feet. He's like, well, did you read the briefing? Did you see this one part in page 100? You know, totally making stuff up. Um, 
that he knows we got to work with the crew. He knows we have to play along with with uh, Nabu Samek. He um, understands um, you know, the, the the betrayal when it turns out that that uh, was it a major was it a general I can't even remember general it was a general and turns out oh yeah he's was gonna defect to the towel like like this whole time and just like how that made him feel um, his how he befriended you know um, um, I'm. Amazai, Amazai. He did all these things. And even still, like, his thing he said at the end was that he was disappointed he didn't get to face check again. Because the people, they're like, oh, we got the crew. We're taking him off somewhere. What is not to like? <laughs> and he's not perfect. That's the Honorable other thing. He makes, he makes mistakes. And he owns up to it and works with it. That's like the best part, that he's not some Mary Sue character. He is not infallible. He does not have all the answers. He's just very pragmatic. And I mean, the thing that makes him so interesting is that he's very pragmatic, but he's winging it. He does not have all the answer. He's just taking a chance. Like this, That is one of my favorite character beats for him where he looks at the commissar and he's like, did you not read page whatever of the <laughs> briefing to say this? Oh, well, no, I didn't. It is entirely possible that he would go, yeah, I did, and it wasn't in there. Right? And he, oh, <laughs> never mind. Right. He, he takes chances. He takes risk, calculated risks, for sure, and they do work out for him. Um, He's likable. He cares about his men. He cares about their mission. And, yeah, he's not heretical, but he does recognize, like, we can't be fighting the crew. No, this not, is just not going to happen for us. Not while we're in the middle of the flayed ones. Like, like yeah, we need to call a truce. Like a timeout here. Yeah, we're in a friggin' Necron pyramid. We we need to get out of here. Um, I do. I liked his very very measured response to being killed. <laughs> yeah. and just the whole dinner scene where he's just like, wow. <laughs> Because he assesses the threat, right? He assesses mm -hmm. the threat of, could we take this guy? No, we could not take this guy. Um, he's just, he's a fascinating character. And they, Eduardo Albert did such a good job with him. He, this was a really hard one for me to put him as my, like, I really sat here and thought about this. He was almost my favorite as well. So, but who almost was your favorite? Years? My favorite was Luce Spinoza from Dark City by Chris Wright. Um... I've always liked this character. I've loved her since the very beginning of the series. And it is so fascinating to watch her evolution as a character. She starts the first book not really so sure about this Crowl guy. The second book, she's very flustered with Crowl. And, you know, she's like, well, I'm here. I'm the one who's got to make these tough decisions. And she starts off Dark City being a little frustrated with Crowl. But then her loyalty to him kicks in. And she's like, he had a point, though. Mm-hmm. And the way that she fights to, the way that she fights to make sure that they find him and that his discovery and his investigation gets heard. Um, and she's never, he resists the urge to make her just the cast iron bitch, right? Of like the take no prisoners, I'm the boss, you listen to me. But he also doesn't make her wishy-washy. Mm -hmm. She's just a very stalwart character. And I, I want you to know. I'm still not over her death because yeah. just the other day, 
I was talking with my husband and I was like, oh, you know, we were talking about Watchers of the Throne 3 when that eventually comes out. And I was like, well, what would be really super cool would be if our giant soulless babies eventually hook up with Crowl and Spin... No. No. No, no, that's not going to happen. Well, no, they're they're all dead. They're all dead. Uh, the fact that nobody made it out of that book alive. And while I kind of thought that something bad was going to happen, that Crowl wasn't going to make it out... I'm not I'm not over this emotionally. And her like trying to crawl out to that portal for mm-hmm. safety just oh man. I loved Luz Spinoza and alas we knew you too 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 uh too infrequently I guess or not well <laughs> enough. Um and it just reminded me that Chris Wright has killed better characters than a lot of authors have dreamed of writing. Pour one out for Luz Spinoza. You're gonna be okay. No. Okay. Well, while you're your... like while you're like sobbing over there. Well, I'm beklimped. Who was your honorable mention? Kieran Blackheart, of all things. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. He was delightful. He was. I'm not sure I'd go to a dinner party with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I was a space marine, like I feel like Hanso could go to one of his dinner parties. Well, Hanso could. Okay. Yes. But no. No. I wouldn't trust anything that was served. Well, and the thing that makes him interesting is that I looked at him more of like as the antagonist, but it's his book. It's yeah. his story. He's definitely the protagonist of this I mean, book. And the antagonist is actually the Emperor's children, asshole. But uh, well, I know that's not narrowing it down, but that's really what. Which one? <laughs> um, the one in this book? <laughs> the, one, the one in this particular book it's just you want just pick a pick an emperor's children guy probably a dick um he was he, he was a fun villain to love mm-hmm. again mike brooks did a really good job of being like so what exactly is this guy's deal and that was his deal mm-hmm. he just wanted to hang so out crazy. in the maelstrom do his own thing do his own thing yeah just leave him alone all right, the moment we've been waiting for. Oh, we're gonna draw. What home. is our best book of 2022? I think it's no surprise that mine is Kazarkin by Eduardo Albert. That's a hard one to argue with. You and I even said when we read it, we were like, "Oh, this is a contender." Mm-hmm. Tell me more. I don't know what else to say. What I what I haven't already said. I mean, um. You know, of all the weird things, this book inspired me to read Dune. You know, fair. Um, it's like I've never, ever wanted to read Dune. I've never seen the movies. I know I've heard things that Warhammer is based off of the ideas coming from Dune. But now that I have been reading Dune, I'm like, yeah, well, what hasn't been based off of Dune? Let's be real here. Let's be real. So, I mean, just for the fact that it's making me pick up this book that's what, I don't want to say how old it is, written in the 60s. 60s. Um, yeah, this 800-page book, I only have 150 pages left to go. So I've actually, you know, really... M- mowed it's a dry read. Ha! Ah, nice. Hey! <laughs> intentional fun is unintentional. <laughs> it is. It's dated. It's it, it, It's... 
It is very dated. It's, it's dated. A product of its time. Yes, it is. But um, the fact that you got this book that actually inspired me, even though I knew Warhammer was based loosely based off of Dune, or that I or took a lot of the concepts from Dune, I should say that. Right. This is the book that pushed me to actually like pull the trigger and start reading. And says something. Yeah. Actually. Um there's so much about this book. Like, and I didn't want to read it because I saw Tao on the cover, and like I or on the back cover. And like I said, this is the best Tao book ever. But everything about this book was great from start to finish. Um, it was and I feel as though this we've had a few years like this where at the end of the year we read a book and we're like, no, this was really like one of the best books that we read. Uh, the Wicked uh, or The Infinite and the Divine comes to mind. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Where, yeah. yeah. It's not just that Kazarkin is fresh in mind. It was just a really good book. And I feel like especially with you, I feel as though Kazarkin was the very definition of surprise and delight. Yeah. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I mean, when we got the book, you were kind of like, great. Like Cadian's towel. Yay. So excited. <laughs> well, I think both of us were kind of like, oh, well, even towel. then when it came out, there was Necrons. I was like, oh, son of a bitch. It's Necrons. Why does it have to be Necrons? I can't, I hate Necrons. And then I love the book. So. Yeah. Um, and I think we both said that in the podcast that when, when they were like, oh, yeah, Necrons. Oh, it's the flayed ones. Look at that. Mm, original. <laughs> How ordinary. Uh, and no, he can't even argue with that as a choice for oh, best book and he of also the year. Took it, a, it was definitely he in took my a, running. another theme that I hate. I hate the zombie horror crap. I hate that. It's so overdone. And again, like it was on paper. This book has everything I would hate and I ended up loving it and on that day her heart grew three sizes <laughs> no I I totally agree I you and I both were like wow this was really good um definitely a top contender for it and again I think you and I both said too that Eduardo Albert is definitely a rising star oh yeah somebody that we're both very keen to see I mean, he's, he's um, written two books that we've just loved. So, very much so. And I guess the and, same uh, can be said for yours. Your and if you've book. listened to the awards, this is not going to come as a surprise. And at oh, it's the same thing for mine. And my honorable mention again, this is the second book we've now read by Robert Rath that we've yep. just loved. And it just happens to be at hand. So, I will show that it is Assassinorum Kingmaker. This. <laughs> this book had everything that I wanted it to be and more. Um, it had great characters, great dynamics. It dealt with Plot the night. twists. Plot twists left and right, um, but in a really good manner. Um, it has enemies become friends. Friends become enemies. Everybody's richer for the experience. Like, it just, it had everything for it. And I loved it. And so many scenes in this book live rent-free in my head all year. And a lot of the books that we've read after Assassin Arm Kingmaker, I keep going back and comparing them to Assassin Arm Kingmaker in my mind. Mm -hmm. I was super excited for this book, which always makes me nervous. Um, and it did not disappoint. It just, it just didn't. Uh, it had everything. I and as I mean, as you said, like I don't know what else to say about it that we haven't already said on the podcast. It was just 
a good book and Robert Rath is easily one of my new favorite authors in the Black Library catalog. Yeah, agreed. Super talented, super inspired, just absolutely love it. And I know that this was your honorable mention. Yep. Yeah, it was just it was just fun and we had a real, we had a lot of fun recording the episode about this one too. Mhm. Yeah, I took a so lot. Of, I feel I took like... a lot of interesting notes about this one, which is actually saying a lot. Because if you guys could see by by like if you guys could look through my notebook and see like all the detailed notes it took like when we first started this podcast to like what I did this year, it's pathetic. <laughs> I didn't even really take notes this year. In fact, that's going to be my New Year's resolution: is I've got to get back into good note taking because when we started to try to figure out what was the best for this year, yeah, it was difficult. It was. Yeah, because we forgot, we forgot what we read. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing was, is that at the, like, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks ago, I was like, we didn't even read anything good this year. Oh, wait, no. No, actually, we read a lot of really good things. And I had to go back and look through them. My honorable mention, again, this won't be a surprise to anybody. It's Vaults of Terra, the Dark City. I loved that series from the get-go. I was really excited to see the third book. and even though I'm a little verklempt about him killing everybody and especially what happened to Gorgias, justice for Gorgias. Um, <laughs> I loved it. It was a really great send off really in the Warhammer 40k universe. It was a very Warhammer 40k ending and it was a great send off for all of these characters. Uh, it had a little burgeoning romance between the hired gun and the assassin. I thought that was great, especially when she looks at him and she's like, our children would have been formidable. I think I started like tearing up from there and going forward. Um, I just loved it. It was an excellent book, an excellent send off. I don't want to have my heart ripped out like that again by Chris Rate. <coughs> um, no pressure for Watches of the Throne 3. <laughs> my giant soulless babies get killed. I will riot. Um, yeah, I'll just crawl under my desk and eat a pint of ice cream and sob. I don't even like ice cream. Um, but it was, I, I, again, I think we really, we really did read a lot of good things. And there were so many, we'll talk about this later, but there were so many things that I was like, oh, but what about this book? Hey, what about this book? So from going from those two polar extremes to we didn't read anything good to we read so many good things. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of an emotional roller coaster. I'm just saying. Um, so that was our best book of 2022. Now, every now and then, because of Black Library's publishing schedule and just, you know, the way that things do be that way sometimes, we did have to dig into the way back machine. So, and I want to give credit to some of those books. What was your favorite book that we read that was published before 2022? I think we have the same one. We do. Card. We actually didn't have to, we didn't have to dig back into the way back machine as much no, as we because, have in previous. Well, right. Because, you know, last year we did some Caiaphas Kane and some stuff too, but no, because they, they re-released Karn. And mm -hmm. basically that we were both like, why isn't there a second one? Like, why hasn't Anthony Reynolds written more? I know you work at Riot Games and whatever, and you're busy. You know, seriously, like League of Legends can handle itself, please. The thing just prints money. Do you really need to focus on that? The answer is no. If Graham McNeil can write books and he works for Riot Games, you can too. You can come back and write more Karn. Yeah. Um. I've always liked Karn. I've always really liked my Rage Boys. Always have liked the World Eaters. Um, it was everything that I wanted in a Karn book and more. I liked how 
menacing and dangerous, yes, but oddly reasonable. Karn is for most of the book. Mm-hmm. He's very, he's just very like, mm, this is how it is. He's very menacing. Um, I like when they're dealing with the emissaries. I, I, I had that honorable mention for my favorite quote was when he is like, I want to see the faces of those who insult Angron. My second favorite quote that almost took over the place of this one was when he leans back and he's like, you really want to see a unified 12th? He's like, yes. Let the killing begin. Right. Just, that's the cue to violence. It's just, do you really want to see that? Like, and then you start Be careful to see what you wish for type thing. Very much so. Very much so. And you could make a lot of arguments that they should have just left Karn. They just should have left him. Um, he is dangerous. But it was a really nice, it was just a good insight into him, into the Legion, mm-hmm. into kind of what happens after Terra and how he starts to go down this path. The red path. Yep. The red path and becomes the chili con carne that we all know and love. More like all know and fear. All know and love from a very, very far distance away. You know, it's like a storm. It's like, you know, tornadoes. They're really cool. Somewhere else. (laughs) I live in Colorado. Tornadoes are really cool when they're happening over in Kansas. And they're not going through anybody's homes or anything. And they're just kind of there existing and being very pretty and interesting. Yes. Um, Yeah. It's like the Lords of Silence, right? Like I've always said that Vorks is one of my favorite characters from a distance. Oh, yes. I don't. You don't want to go to that dinner party either. I do not want to go to that dinner party. Do not go to that dinner party. (laughs) I would go to Huron Blackhearts before. Like if I had two invitations, like, sorry, (laughs) Huron already got to me. I'm not going to eat anything. But mm-hmm. yeah, Karn was just, it was a great, it was a really fun book. And I went into that one with a little trepidation and it was really good. No, yeah, especially because we're like, who's Anthony Reynolds? We haven't read anything by him. No, I hadn't read. And I don't know how, it, and I think we even said this in the podcast, but I was like, I don't know how I didn't read this book before. So I have a total cop out here because unfortunately the other books that we read were this year, they were published pre-2021 i did not enjoy it all no. well because they were Ariman. No, i yeah so i was like you know as much as like i really didn't like the Ariman books um there's a few scenes that do live rent free in my head and you know honestly and with um unchanged it was i, think, I can't remember the guy's name and i could have looked it up and i just didn't care but basically, the guy who's up for revenge for what happened to his, uh, for his legion, just like that, oh. that, that plant that Ariman had. And then you just kind of, anyway. I can't think of his name, no, but yes. But just like, you know, just Ariman's plans over plans over plans. And yeah, I didn't pick Sorcerer because the whole, I knew this was going to happen thing would got was kind of like okay like you've done this shtick before but with this one just seeing like how far ahead he was actually planning with stuff that and it had the mathematician guy and i loved him he cracked me oh he was he was easily the best character in that book he was super fun super exciting and yeah and i do remember how much you really enjoyed a lot of the scenes in that book Mm -hmm. that one didn't surprise me too much 
but I mean, I mean, we were we were scraping the we didn't have, which is actually not a bad problem to have that we had. You know, we didn't have to go back into the wayback machine too much like we did right. the year prior. The yeah, during COVID, we had to do a lot of wayback machining. Um, and next year we might have a couple wayback machines because they did just release special editions of two classic books. So we might have some of that next year, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. not having to do it very often is good. And at least one of the books we both agreed we really enjoyed. So now it's time for conjecture. Um, what is your most anticipated book for 2022 or beyond? And now this could be a book that has been announced. It could be a book that you just kind of hope is in the hopper um, and will eventually be revealed. Uh, I will start by saying, because we have the same choice, as soon as they released this, we were both like, yes, please. It's Cypher, Lord of the Fallen. Yeah. Is there a single Warhammer 40k fan who hasn't said to themselves at one point, self? is cypher up to especially since they revealed in one of the um in one of the game books that gulliman encountered cypher i have questions as carrie would say yeah cypher was part of what he saved gulliman from the red corsairs that him with the gray knight honestly that whole thing is very interesting gulliman gulliman is like a gulliman a gray knight and cypher all walk into a bar I don't know who's going to live with this one, but um, yeah, the, I'm very looking forward to Cypher for obvious reasons, but I'm cautiously optimistic because I'm not pleased with who the author is. I'm there with you. It should be Gav Thorpe. Um, Fight me. Okay. Normally, like, okay. Two years ago, I would have been like, are you out of your mind? But ever since reading Luther, I was actually very disappointed that Cypher is not going to be written by Gavthorpe because I feel as though if nothing else would be the perfect companion piece to Luther, it would be a Cypher book. And the idea... Gavthorpe gets the Dark Angels. Neither of us are super hot on John French. It's not that it, it's not, I'm not saying that he's a bad writer. He just is not my cup of tea. Yes. Um, so I'm very cautiously optimistic. And after having read his Siege of Terra novel, oh boy, <laughs> he's got a hole to claw his way out of with me. Um, very cautiously optimistic for it because again i feel as though even with john french cypher is just too interesting of a character there's just too much going on there's too many questions there's too much Mm. Mm. that's like what's going on see that's the thing like john french hasn't written a book that we've read anyway that deals with this kind of espionage and intrigue and unknown he's been very straightforward i would say yeah you're right because like and before anybody comes in and they're just like oh but what about his inquisitor series i'm gonna disagree hard with that um it's more those books are more focused on unfolding other plots Mm -hmm. this is the plotter not the plotty right so that's going to be a little hard this is like on one I, hand, I feel like he's so interesting and there's so much going on, it's going to be easy. But on the other hand, I think the only other writer who could do Cypher justice 
that's not Gav Thorpe, is Chris Rate. And yes. the reason why I say that is after reading the Erebus short story. Because mm-hmm. Chris Rate gets these types of characters. Uh, so I mean, I may not be even, I may not be being fair to uh, John French, but when I saw it was not Gav Thorpe writing, I was very disappointed because how can you have a book about dark angels where it's not Gav Thorpe or even Phil Kelly? I mean, Phil Kelly also gets the dark angels. Mm, mm-hmm. Agreed. Actually, you know what? I mean, I think my list of people who I think would handle him very well um, is pretty long. And I think my other concern is that, as I mentioned earlier with Huron Blackheart, I think Mike Brooks really walked the line perfectly of this person is a villain, but they're not like, they're not like so comically evil, right? But this person is a villain, but he doesn't really, he's not a hooker with a heart of gold. There's not... (laughs) There's not a lot of, and I do worry that with that with Cypher, because he's another character that you really have to walk that line of what are his motivations? Why is he doing what he's doing? Where is he? What has he been doing? How does he do all of the stuff? Are they going to reveal who he is? Oh, and that's another thing that I'm really nervous about because on one hand, I'm like, no, I don't think that they will. Here's where I go back and forth on this, because on one hand, I'm going to be disappointed if they don't. Like, yeah, we're doing a whole book on Cypher. You better reveal who he is. But on the other hand, on the other hand, because you just mentioned the Chris Rate Erebus story. On the other hand, um, I might be disappointed if it's not Zahariel. Oh, yeah. Well, but on the other hand, like. If they reveal it's Zahariel, will we all just be like, mm-hmm, yeah, we know. Yeah, I think it's... But if uh, they come back and they're just like, oh, it was John Smith all along, <laughs> we're going to be like, who? They had seen it with Star-Lord. Star-Lord, who? Um, you know. Or, you know, like the um, the light in the briefcase and Pulp Fiction. Yes. We don't need to know what it is. No. We really don't. Um... There's a lot of things like that that we really don't need to know. And I don't I don't know if Cypher's one of them or not. Is do we need to know who he is? Do we need to know? But it's not it looks, at least from the reveal, it doesn't look like it's gonna be one of the little character vignettes. It looks like it's gonna be a book. Well, John French is good at that. (laughs) John French is really good at that. you know, honestly, because it is John French, like, I know I'm probably really being mean to John French, but after reading some of the Horace Heresy stuff, as long as there's not a perpetual in this book, like, I might be happy with no matter what happens. If a perpetual shows up in this book, I will lose my shit. Just, just, just to know. It will all automatically be an F. I don't care what else happens. I don't care how much of a beautifully written story we have or a character arc or development. If there's a perpetual in it, it is no. Again, it's the uh, it's the pudding argument. It could be a perfect, beautiful flan that has just enough caramel and flan and it's silky in texture and not overcooked and not overly sweet. But if you put your dick in it, I don't care about any of that. Okay, that will be the perpetuals will forever be the turd in the punch bowl. 
Thank you for coming to my perpetual TED talk. Oh my god. No, I can't. I was not prepared. I was not prepared for a dick in the flan reference, but okay. <laughs> but that's kind of how I feel about it. Is like if if it turns out that this is some perpetual nonsense or I mm, no. Oh my sorry. god. Are you trying to say like if ciphers are perpetual? That'd be awful. I will lose it. Like I, I will lose my shit. Like it I will might, not be pretty. Like I might go find John French, <laughs> and just we pick will fly it. to England and picket his home. I was like, I'm not gonna hurt him. I'm just gonna picket in his yard. He will know my displeasure. <laughs> <laughs> he will know my name. Damn it! <laughs> Hi, we're from the Warhammer 40k book club, and we friggin' hated your book. <laughs> Because old Pearson or Alanius Pius or whatever the hell they're calling him now appeared. That happens. It will not be good. I mean, I doubt it will. But anyway. What's your honorable mention is the thing you're most excited for? First founding. I'm very curious about that one. Sorry for those who are listening. Jen was like dying. My cat is next to me and I'm very allergic to her, but she's beautiful. Um, yes, I had to have a sneezing fit there, which is why we jumped over to Carrie's honorable mention. Um, I I'm very curious for that one as well. And it looks beautiful. This limited edition looks like it's going to be gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um, very curious of the who, what, when, where, why, how of all of that. That's a good one. Um, this will not surprise anybody involved because i think this was also my most anticipated one again uh because i know it's out there and i know it's going to be revealed any day now it is watchers of the throne three revengeance revengeance nice you're all welcome now we do this every year where we go through all of our books that we really loved and everything that really stood out to us but there's always that one book that were like, oh man, I wish we would have talked more. I like, I wish I would have given more screen time to this book because it was very good and I really did enjoy it and it deserves more. And mine is Volpone Glory. I absolutely loved that book. I loved how he took the bad, the villains from an 80s coming of age movie and he fleshed them out and he made them make sense and he gave them a personality. And as you said, like all the complicated politics and the, the, nice romance in it this evil character who i mean you know he targeted evil like it's it, it still has a purpose and a point to it that's not the villain um it was a great book and i really wish it would have been more like i wrestled so much with putting so much of its stuff into some of my awards i wish i could have given it more love other than the tongue bath that i just gave it mine was krieg that's, that and, was my runner-up and for me it's because krieg I knew nothing about the Krieg, you know, except for like happy shovel noises. And I didn't understand, you know, any of that. The happiest of shovel noises. So learning this about the Civil War, how they became the Death Corps Krieg and the back and forth of like their past and where they are present was just it was an educational experience for me. So I really, really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I also liked that they showed past and present so you got mm -hmm. to see how they got here but then you got to see how they react and how they act now mm -hmm. um and quite frankly a cavalry charge in the 40k universe with literal horses 
I mean, I approve. The uh, gotta love the, the world World War One aesthetic, right? With the mustard gas masks and horses. Oh my god! And so the horses Chris, have masks. And the horses have, have gas masks. This is delightful. They do. They're probably cloned too. Um, my my daughter asked for a trench coat for Christmas, and um, the one we got her was army green, and so I've been calling her Krieg. Because yeah, she's really leaning into that World War One aesthetic there. Um, it just either that or Chernobyl. Clean it was up. a really good book. It was like it was yeah, it was a really good book. Um, I think we both went into it with good high expectations, and it it did mm-hmm. not disappoint. No, it was good. Really enjoyed it. Well, you have two runners up. Yeah, I really couldn't pick between the two. So one and me because one like lives in my head rent free, and that is Day of Ascension. And why? Because. I can't help but laugh at how bad these people have it that they think gene stealers are a good idea. Like, how Things awful... sounds bad when you say it in that tone of voice. Like, how me. awful are the, me- the mechanicus, you know, were with them, you know, harvesting, you know, their people for Skitari, not even, like... Uh, following their own rules because they have a quota to make and we just don't care because so we might have killed some people that could have been you know good skatari well doesn't matter my my dinner was cold you know just how callous these mechanicus were and uncaring and how downtrodden these people were that the only you know it's they always talk about how the more downtrodden people are. This is actually what concept they're talking about in Dune, where I am in it, was that the more downtrodden people are, the more fervent religion unites them. And it's always like, so what religion is it going to be? Nids. Of all the things, Nids right. seems better than, you know, growing a third arm seems better than dealing with you know the what the mechanicus were doing to them so that just yeah and it's it's one of those interesting things because it is kind of a uh the hubris of the mechanicus right because they've gone so far into the flesh is weak they've forgotten how to keep the pulse on like common people and yes you could make an argument about that for all of the high lords of or, you know any of the wealthy aristocracy mm-hmm. of a 40k planet but like but we've never really seen a wealthy mechanicum you yes. know being fat and opulent and we don't we've never really seen that because they're so pragmatic so this was just so so unusual it know, was it in that um so yeah just that's one of those books like i'm didn't want to read it again because it's about the nids, but I'm really glad that I did because it really brought some interesting insights to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then my other one is Steel Tread, and I didn't have like even any mentions in here at all, but there's some parts of Steel Tread that live in me as well, mainly because I'm so angry at Nyx still. Like, just like that whole thing was just, it was total bullshit. But I really enjoyed learning about the life of, um, tankers and mm. in the imperium and i think my favorite part about it was that you didn't really get to you didn't really see the big bad you know it was a day in the life of these tankers and what they have to deal with especially with you know um dealing with cadians when you're you're an outsider and how she has to come in and like kind of take over and how uh brought a new light to the cadians because all i'd really see the cadians was from um 
uh, Katie stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess before they became all beaten down and uh, no one understands us. Well, you know what? Everyone out here is dying because you're part of the Imperium. So you're not special. All right. Right. Your pain is ordinary. Yes. I uh, can totally agree with Steel Tread, too. There was so much in it I liked. And actually, the uh, Etzel was almost my favorite runner-up protagonist. Yeah, I could see that. Because she was a very interesting character. Um, and yeah, you touched on one of the themes in that book that I loved, which was people. <laughs> these people give their literal blood and life for this Imperium and for fighting and fighting and they don't even ever, ever get to see the bad big bad mm-hmm. like oh what is that chaos space marine doing don't know don't care never, I, my job to here is point. to die right and fight it just boy was that grim <laughs> <laughs> well but none of, fun. none of the Astro Militarum books were um, uplifting to but no, think... Vopal and Glory was probably the most uplifting. And I think that's only because <laughs> Nick Kime somehow took like a hated regiment and made them likable and relatable. It showed the human side of them, right? Which like, um, I mean, how he did that with uh, Knights of McCrag. I was not a fan of Cato uh, Sicarius. He, Cato Sicarius. Because he was such a ass in uh the six year old ventress book just like a very big yep. pompous ass and i'm like no i have no use for this guy and um seeing how he is when i guess when you get trapped in the warp for five years it changes a person you turn into endgame era steve rogers ah the beard was a nice look for him just throwing that out there it's true on the cover of Knights of McCrag, it was a very good look for him. Um, yeah, the best part was like I got a I got a calendar from um, Christmas for the fall. You know, the calendar was for the following year, and Knights of McCrag was like my birthday month, so it was kind of nice. <laughs> Mine that year was something really good too. Maybe it was Watchers of the Throne. Maybe it might have been. There was something really good in June. That I think year I kept well. that calendar. Just because I like the book cover so much. But anyway. Gorgeous calendar when they do them. Um, Yeah. So that's our best of 2022. We are looking super forward into going into 2023. We're starting off with Witchbringer. For Mm. those who have forgotten since it's been a spell. Um, In a couple of weeks here, Witchbringer, good way to start off. More More uh, Astra Militarum. 2022 was the year of the Astra Militarum. We got to learn about so many different regiments. Like, and you know, me being the newbie over here, I was like, I didn't know about any of these. Except for the Cadians. You know, I never heard of the the Catachan. I knew about the Krieg, sort of. Uh, I never heard of the Volpone. So it's been a very educational year. So looking forward to learning about these... uh, Sanctioned psychers. I don't know why, but I love the idea of the sanctioned psychers. Um, and I feel so bad for the main character because it says that she's a Acadian who basically it sounds like she became a psyker during the psychic awakening. So, like, you lost your planet and you became a psyker, and uh, you lost your most planet to spread that out, and now you and now you're freedom. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> she's having a rough month. Um, it uh i'm really excited for that one i think i hope they continue with this astra militarum fleshing out these characters making them fun and i hope that eduardo albert and uh robert rath 
come out with some more stuff. Yeah. And that yeah, Cypher Lord of the Fallen doesn't disappoint. I'm sorry. Burning. For our for our blind viewers, oh, we're, we're crossing our fingers on both hands. Lots of finger crossing right now for that. But yeah, do you want to take us out, Carrie? Oh, sure. I mean, don't have a whole lot in the outro, you know, today because it's, you know, our, what is this? So this would be like our 90.5 episodes since this is our award. So thank you guys so much yes. for like being with us this whole year. We're looking forward to doing this again in 2023. Have a good night. Good night, everyone. of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.